Welcome to an unprecedented cultural moment. About two decades ago, I set out, me personally, with intentionality to move in and out of Christian culture all over America. I was playing music and having conversations about Jesus every single night in churches and bars and these crummy legion halls and down in basements. And then about five years ago, I focused that work in a single region and a single church, radically different thing. Now I am observing the sort of surrounding landscape landscape having been given a glimpse of the church as it evolved in America over the last 10 or 15 years as well as from the seat of a pastor in one place at one time. And I'm not sure that the work of Jesus' disciples has ever been so complicated. First, we have come face to face with post-Christian culture, which is an unprecedented thing. This is something we discussed at length during the summer, but we are bracing ourselves against this relentless gravitational pull to succumb to the sweeping current of the host culture and do things like abandon church altogether or relinquish an orthodox understanding of sexuality or give in to consumerism or have that extra drink or look at that website, whatever it is. We are also the first adult generation to grow up in a broken home. Statistically, more than half of you are children of divorce, and some of you have dealt with it and are dealing with it in healthy ways. Others continue to reel in patterns of emotional dysfunction, symptomatic of untreated family duress. Many of us have no idea how to resolve a conflict. Uh, when a relationship becomes difficult, we excuse ourselves. Then there's our advanced technological society. Much about technology uh, and technological advance is wonderful and advantageous, absolutely. It is, of course, not all bad. But we have yet to examine and evaluate the toll technology has taken and will take on us. Um, a heinous facade of interconnectedness has slowly usurped any real sense of intimacy and community. We have exchanged them for sad, stupid little staged photos of contrived moments crafted to market our fabricated lives to strangers who don't care. Our attention spans um, have been drowned in this dopamine release over the span of hundreds of infinitely updating feeds and streaming options and digital shopping malls. We are also the first generation to grow up in the Sunday-centric megachurch model. During the 80s and 90s, megachurch franchises erupted from the suburbs like Starbucks locations, like McDonald's. And the fad so permeated evangelical culture that even those of you for whom a 2,000-person campus sounds far-fetched, many of you still know the model very well. Just come to church. Have a few friends there if it works for you. Enjoy the service that's provided for you. Be a good person. Get fed. That's what it's all about is you and your own little personal experience. You are the end. Few of us along the way were actually trained in discipleship to Jesus. And here we are. Every church generation has its pendulum swing. Uh, its corrections and its overcorrections. Its attention and its neglect. But for all my reading, from my own narrow experience around the country and the world, I suspect we are in a new sort of place. And now I'm wondering, how do we thrive in this place? And for this reason, we've been spending our vision series for the coming year talking about practicing the way of Jesus. If you're just joining us uh, or you've missed an evening along the way, please go back, listen to the podcast, because each teaching is sort of intended to build upon the one that preceded it. And what we've said again and again is that to become an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus means organizing your entire life around three all-encompassing goals. To be with Jesus, 
to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. Of course, in order to become like Jesus, a transformation must take place. And as such, we've been working through a paradigm of spiritual formation. This is how we are changed in order to become like Jesus and to experience what Jesus himself called life to the fullest. Last week, we talked about teaching and a bit about practice. And tonight, I'd like to go a bit further with the latter. Specifically, I want to talk about something called the spiritual disciplines. So with that, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What we are going to read is taken from a letter that was drafted by a master apprentice in the way of Jesus, and his name was Paul. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, writing to a group of fledgling apprentices, Paul has something interesting to say by way of metaphor. Let's read 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it, followers of Jesus, to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Here Paul is comparing the way of Jesus to the way of the athlete, essentially, not unlike marathon running or 10 rounds of boxing. And the metaphor is not an arbitrary one. Corinth, the city to which Paul writes, was home to the Isthmian Games. So every two years, tens of thousands would flock to Corinth from all over the ancient Mediterranean in order to witness this spectacle of athletic competition. And Paul must have liked the sound of it because the metaphor shows up elsewhere in his writings as well. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Here's another from Galatians chapter 5. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Here's one more from 2 Timothy. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul returns to the effectiveness of this metaphor again and again. And notice the emphasis of the metaphor is the role of discipline. Here in 1 Corinthians, verse 25, Paul says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Uh, a number of translations render that line, All athletes are disciplined in their training. In verse 27 we read, I strike a blow to my body. But several translations read, I discipline my body. For Paul... To be a disciple is to be a disciplined human being. And when Paul talks about the discipline of the apprentice, he's talking about what we often call the spiritual disciplines. I prefer to call them the practices of Jesus for two reasons, really fast. Firstly, for many, spiritual means something outside of the body. 
but for Paul, the body is the focal point of our relationship with God. In fact, the body is the battleground between what Paul calls the flesh and the spirit, these two sorts of warring factions within you. But even with these paradigms intact, Paul understands discipleship to be something that you do with your body. And for all misunderstanding surrounding the word spiritual, this is one reason I prefer the practices of Jesus over the spiritual disciplines. The second reason, simply put, is that though discipline is in and of itself a very good thing, it has a negative connotation in the minds of most people or they tend to think of punishment or, you know, like a spanking or something. But whether or not we say the practice of Jesus or the spiritual disciplines, we're talking about the same thing. The spiritual disciplines are practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create a time and space for us to access the Holy Spirit's presence and power, and in doing so, be transformed from the inside out. There's no official list of the disciplines in question. Really, the idea is that anything we see practiced in the lifestyle of Jesus, for us, is a spiritual discipline. For this reason, if you begin to read on the topic at any length, you'll see these mentioned in particular again and again. Silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, Bible reading and memorization, living in community, Sabbath, Sunday gathering, what we're all doing right now, the bread and the cup, what we'll do in a few minutes, worship, serving, simple living, celebration, grieving, repentance, secrecy, gratitude, and the list goes on. Now, before we go further into the concept, let's pause for a moment to remember the purpose of discipline in and of itself. A discipline, as I'm sure you all know, is any activity that you do by direct effort that will eventually enable you to do that which currently you cannot do by direct effort. Uh, I'm currently 30-something, 30 34. Where's Abby? Is Abby around? How old am I? Is she in here? How old am I? 33. Are you sure? I thought I was 34. Yeah, who cares? The, the point is I'm older now than I once was, right? So I've got kids, uh, you know, I'm a pastor. I've got to do what I can to, you know, maintain my, my punk rock credibility. So one of those things is uh, a, a little over a year ago, I decided to take up skateboarding. Always been into the idea of it, but never could do it. Um, and I did that by more than a year ago. Peter, you've been along for this entire journey, right? The very first day I got a skateboard, I said, come over here and show me how to ride this thing. Um, uh, so uh, for more than a year, I've been, I skate to work any day that it doesn't rain, um, and I go to a skate park about every week, uh, sometimes more or less. Now, my very first day at a skate park, at least skating around on it and not just looking at it, uh, I wanted to do something called dropping in. You know, if you know anything about, uh, I won't bore you with all the details, but essentially ramps go like this, right? And there's this thing on the top called a coping. You stand like this, and to drop in, you sort of go like that, and you skate down the ramp, uh, which is way more difficult than it looks, apparently. Uh, and the very first day I was there, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. That's going to be like my first big level up. I tried about a dozen, 15 times, uh, injured both wrists uh, and my ribs. And then my, the last time I tried that day, I got a concussion and ended the night in the emergency room. Now, um, of course, I didn't give up skating. In fact, I deliberately kept at certain like drills and exercises that folks like Peter who are way better than I am say, oh, we'll do this some more and then you'll get better um, so that I will eventually be enabled to drop in without injuring my brain. Last Thursday, 
uh, I was on this, this half pipe, this ramp that goes like this for about an hour and a half just running this little drill that my friend said, do this, and it'll help you get more comfortable with this, and it becomes monotonous, and I did it over and over and over and over and over again so that eventually your body just becomes really comfortable with the thing, and you're like, oh, I get it. It's like a discipline, and now I'm unlocking something that I could not do before. It's like the wax on, wax off sort of thing. Seem very ordinary in the moment, but really you're trying to tap into something that you can't do yet. The spiritual disciplines are to the way of Jesus what like drills are to soccer or training is to boxing or scales are to the guitar or you know like a concussion is to skateboarding, whatever. Uh, a discipline is essentially a way of accessing power, right? A spiritual discipline is a way of accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I will give everyone a single guess as to who the next quote is from. Give up, it's Dallas Willard. Here he comes. <laughs> the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself as we yield ourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God, as Romans 6.13 puts it. Dallas Willard famously says elsewhere in his writings, Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. There is absolutely a place for self-effort in discipline. And I realize that it stands to reason that saying such a thing maybe makes one or two of you guys sort of squirm in your chairs. But to repeat what I've said several times throughout um, the series, God has a part to play in your transformation, absolutely. And you have a part to play in your transformation. Of course, God does all the heavy lifting, which is great news for you and me, but our part to play will often be difficult nonetheless. What the spiritual disciplines are is essentially our part to play in the role of transformation. They are our responsibility. They open our minds and our bodies to the power of the Holy Spirit that he might do the deep and profound work of transformation. Every time you read the Bible in the morning or that you pray or that you even come to church and you do these things while saying, Jesus, here I am. You may do as you please in my life. You are tapping into the power of God. This means, listen to me, this means that all of the spiritual disciplines are simply a means to an end. And the end is not, oh, now I read my Bible daily. Or I finally understand this weird concept of fasting and I do it from time to time. Or, well, now I show up faithfully on Sunday and I even serve at the church. That is not the point. The point is relationship with God. That intimacy, that proximity is the thing that transforms us into someone else. Now, I realize going into this that for some of you, the concept of spiritual disciplines may be entirely new, and for others, the idea of spiritual disciplines is something of a put-off. So for the sake of clarification, here are a few compare and contrast statements about the spiritual disciplines. First, they are not a means of earning God's love, but of being in relationship with the Father. When you read the scriptures, or when you pray, or you live with simplicity rather than in excess and consumerism, you're not earning God's love. You know, the parents in the room, you already know that your kids, even as infants, are already enveloped in this unfathomably profound love. And at this point, they're little more than, you know, pink blobs that poop and cry and sleep. And you love them for some reason. It's a weird phenomenon. But... It, they're your sons and your daughters, and you love them. What we're talking about tonight is practice, not performance. 
We're talking about practice, not performance. And though you do not earn God's love, the spiritual disciplines do provide a way for you to be in intimate relationship with your Father in heaven. Not unlike a date night with your spouse or playtime with your children or vacation with your family. The disciplines create space in your day and your week and your life that you might know Jesus and experience closeness and intimacy and relationship with him. Next, the disciplines are not a sign of maturity per se, but they are a sign of discipleship. How many spiritual disciplines that you can fit into your day and week and, and how often is not something to brag about necessarily. Depending on your personality and your wiring and your season of life, you may need more discipline in different ways for the sake of your relationship with the Father in the same way that your marriage will require new and different intimacy and commitment when it's weathering a storm. And when things are going wonderfully, your relationship requires intimacy and commitment to maintain the season of happiness. No matter how old or how mature or how wise you become, the disciple of Jesus never graduates from the practices of Jesus. The next misunderstanding I'd like to alleviate is that the disciplines are not necessary evils. They are the way to the life that is truly life in the, way, in the words of Jesus. When many hear spiritual disciplines, they imagine, you know, some unhappy celibate monk that's like whipping himself on the back in the middle of the night. At least that's what I think of. I don't know about uh, Paul Bettany, you know, as an albino or whatever. Um, Maybe you're not as dramatic or you haven't seen that movie, but you do think, some of you do think, okay, let me get my mind right. These are going to suck, but they're important, so let's just get them over with, you know. To, to be sure, some of the disciplines are not easy. Fasting, for example, can be really tough. But even fasting is designed to make the important areas of your life better and easier. And the truth is, Though fasting isn't always a blast, most of the disciplines are actually wonderful and they're life-giving and they're joyful. Sabbath, for example, may be difficult from the outset in terms of like organization and learning to turn your phone off and that sort of thing. But when you figured it out, it's a day of rest and celebration and food and family and party even. And who doesn't like that? We, we don't follow Jesus for fear of some punishment or in hope of earning some reward, but because we believe the way of Jesus is the best way to live. And the spiritual disciplines are the means to go about that. One author I read this week said this, we must arrange our life so that sin no longer looks good to us. And then this guy, maybe you've heard of him, <laughs> Dallas Willard put it this way, it's a morbid human consciousness that has misled us into the view that to be spiritual one must avoid play and diversion and helpful amusement. This view, however, is not only opposed to scriptural teaching, but is a device of Satan to make the blessed life in God distasteful to young people overflowing with physical energy. Overemphasis on negatives leaves the impression that spirituality is contrary to pleasure and liberty and spontaneous expression. Failure to attain a deeply satisfying life always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Here lies the strength of temptation. And finally, one more, novelist Frank Herbert writes this in the sixth, I believe, installment of his Dune anthology. <laughs> Seek freedom and become captive of your desires. Seek discipline and find your liberty. The premise here is that when we arrange our lives and lifestyles around love and joy and peace and so on, sin inevitably becomes less appealing and 
temptation begins to decrescendo, so to speak. Following Jesus is not about trying really hard. It's about training really hard. What's the difference? Think of it this way. Let's say that you'd like to experience the kind of life that Jesus had. And, and by that I mean like free from worry and generous and connected to the Spirit at all times. Which seems more effective long term? Trying really hard, you know, wake up tomorrow morning, head out to work, you know, to work or to school or your family or whatever and thinking, okay, I'm going to try really hard today not to be stressed. I'm going to give it my all. No stress today. We've got this. Is that... Uh, a better and more viable long-term option? Or um, is training more promising? To wake up tomorrow, spend an hour in silence and solitude in God's presence, turn off your phone, open your Bible, listen for the Spirit's voice over your life, submitting to what He would like to say and do throughout that day, and then heading out the door to confront your family, your work, your school. Which do you predict might yield more sustainable Results, a life of training built around the practices of Jesus, I believe, prepares us to not only live well, but to love well, because the disciplines are designed to reorient the things that we love. Jamie K. Smith argues that you are what you love, he famously says in one of his books, and you may not love what you think you love, Uh, meaning if you want to know what you actually love, take an inventory of the things you do day in and day out throughout your week your rhythms and your rituals and your routines. You may say that you love reading or your family more than you love like Instagram or Netflix or something, but your habits may say something else entirely. Did uh, Last week we talked about this thing called a liturgical audit where you sort of take an inventory of everything that you do throughout the week. If you guys didn't do that, I would still, again, encourage you to try that this week. It is a very revealing and sobering exercise to say, what did I do today? What did I do the next day? What did I, and then look back at this inventory and be like, oh my gosh, I love this way more than I thought I did because I spent X amount of hours on it, whatever that thing may be. Sometimes it's surprising in a great way. Other times it's a huge bummer, but it's great, uh, helpful either way. The practices of Jesus are how we train our hearts to love God and the things of God. This is why when you actually practice the disciplines, the more you want to practice the disciplines. And sadly, the less you practice the spiritual disciplines, the less you want to practice the spiritual disciplines. And I can say both from experience. Our habits shape our loves and our longings in a profound way. Now, it occurred to me that having gone on about the importance of the spiritual disciplines this way, some of you may be asking, well, then why do so few people I know practice them? Why have they not been uh, a centerpiece in the churches that I've grown up in? Maybe they have for you, but for some of us, that's been our experience. I believe there may be a historical reason. Bear with me for a a slight tangent here. The early church was marked, we know by the writings of the fathers in the patristic periods, by a a practice-based approach to discipleship. In fact, um, in the first century and on, followers of Jesus referred to themselves as followers of the way. This began to change in uh, the 4th century when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And then, leading up into and throughout the medieval period, you know, where we get all the movies about the knights and stuff, um, the previously very good spiritual disciplines were used and abused, uh, which is why some of our minds produce this image of a self-whipping monk or, you know, whoever it might be. One aspect of the Protestant Reformation uh, of the 16th century was a reaction against any idea of works and self-effort and to some extent even discipline 
that was uh, an attribute of Roman Catholicism. And as a result, something like a paranoia of what some call works-based righteousness or earning God's favor or however you want to put it began to creep into the church. And now, hundreds of years later, I would argue it's still here. In fact, the pendulum has so swung in the other direction that no one's at all concerned for works-based righteousness anymore, mostly because we're so lazy, we're consumeristic, we're adverse to having to do anything at all that irks our special little snowflake view of ourselves and the world. Um, we like to say, oh, grace, God's got grace, everything, grace, 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 I don't have to do anything ever, grace, grace. Um, today, everything sort of submits to the gods of self-authenticity. Be true to yourself, whatever the heck that means. Um, and of course, to the authors of the New Testament, yourself is a war zone of good and evil, of flesh and the spirit. And so today, many followers of Jesus, in particular those under 40, practice no spiritual disciplines at all. Uh, many of them see no reason why the discipline should matter, and, and talking about the disciplines makes them nervous, like, you're going to have me do this thing? And yet, I would argue that the spiritual disciplines or the practices of Jesus are central to the way of Jesus. So before we end tonight, knowing all of this may be new to some of you, to others I realize not so much, I want to share a few thoughts on how to use the practices or the spiritual disciplines well before we begin them together in our communities in January. First, training wisely requires a balanced approach. The practices of Jesus could be parsed out into four quadrants, so to speak. So you have the disciplines that you do alone, self-explanatory, right? Then you have the disciplines that you do in community. Once again, that explains itself. Then you have the disciplines of abstinence when you keep from doing something, and you have the disciplines of engagement when you actively do something you're not doing. Now, many tend to think of the spiritual disciplines as entirely isolated, somber sort of rituals, but the, the ones that you carry out in community, the ones that you do via engagement, are just as important, serving the church, worship, and so on down the list. Next, Training wisely accounts for your personality. What I mean is that depending on your wiring and your weaknesses, some of us often benefit from more of a particular discipline than another in a certain season of life. Now, I'm not saying that the result of some personality test has given you a permission slip to be a butthead. Hear me on that. You know, you, you can't do, this is the easy one to pick on, but you can't do the, uh, I'm an introvert, so sorry, I require a few hours alone every day while my spouse is with the kids. My personality test says so. I wish there was something I could do, you know. I'm talking about the way that someone like me, for example, is often on stage in front of people every week talking about the Bible, telling stories about what I'm trying to do as a discipline. I tell stories about my failures and where I've succeeded and all that kind of thing. Um, so I need the spiritual discipline of secrecy, which is the ancient art of doing self-sacrificial kindness and service without anyone ever knowing about it. What Jesus talked about when he said, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I think of the folks who serve week in and week out with the kids here at Van City. They regularly practice the discipline of secrecy. They aren't on stage. Most of us have no idea they're down there at all, changing diapers and consoling argumentative children. My kid's down there, which is, you know, the level of workload goes up higher. Now, if your job, you personally, is like a mom, you're raising children, you practice the discipline of secrecy uh, nearly all day, every day. You need the discipline of celebration. Um, the point is that whether by personality or season of life, we all connect to God differently. 
Gary Thomas writes about something he calls the nine sacred pathways, or these unique sorts of avenues in which people, according to their personalities, connect with God. He argues that there are naturalists that love God out of doors, you know, that nature connects people to God. Uh, the sensates who love God with the senses. The traditionalists who love God through ritual and symbol. The ascetics who love God in solitude and simplicity. The activists who love God through confrontation. The caregivers who love God by loving others. The enthusiasts who love God with mystery and celebration. The, the contemplatives who love God through adoration. And the intellectuals who love God with the mind. Obviously, that's not an exhaustive list. And we don't just do one of those things. But depending on your wiring, you may lean in one of those directions. Some of you respond way more naturally on a Sunday evening to the singing and to the listening prayer and the, the work of the Holy Spirit than you do to the teaching and vice versa. Each of you must embrace the freedom of who God made you to be and then balance your need for what you lack naturally. Well, when we begin the practices all together in our communities in January, some of them you will love. Some of them will come naturally. They'll be life-giving. They'll be a blast. You'll be overjoyed, and you'll kill it. Every week, you'll be like, I did it. It was awesome, and people will see the change in you. Others will prove to be a challenge. You'll be like, you'll start to find ways out, you know? I don't think this one's for me. You guys keep it up. Uh, and the point is that that's okay. Some of them will come easy. Some of them will be a challenge, and that's okay. Celebrate and embrace the ones that give life. Do the heck out of those, and then train hard in balancing the ones that challenge you. Don't give up on those. Next, training wisely accounts for your season of life. I talked about, a bit this, about this a bit before, but there are also emotional seasons of life. Um, eventually, I don't want to horrify anyone, but some of you may arrive at something that um, ancient authors call the dark night of the soul, which is as scary as it sounds. <laughs> um, and it's a time when the spiritual disciplines don't seem to work as they once did, and we'll talk more about that as we go, but even the dark night of the soul or even a, a sad downtime in life is part of your journey as a disciple of Jesus. There are times when the disciplines will come naturally with rhythm and routine and joy and you'll feel locked in, and then there are others when you will have to sacrifice and there will be pain to do the disciplines, and then there will be healing, and that's okay. There are seasons for all of that, training wisely, accounts for the immediate need of the disciple. The practices of Jesus often work like prescriptions, meaning when your struggle is excess, you know, excess consumerism or greed or envy or digital addiction or porn addiction, whatever it be, the spiritual discipline most accurately applied or prescribed may be a discipline of abstinence, something that you need to cut back from. Fasting can be a healing thing for those seasons of struggles. If, on the other hand, your struggle is not excess, but it's omission, what you're not doing, you know, laziness or flakiness or unwillingness to serve, then the prescription may be a discipline of engagement. You need to serve the church or you need to live in community or, or whatever it might be. And that said, training wisely does mean a willingness to do hard work. I realize this may come as something of a bummer, but the disciplines that are most difficult for your personality are often the ones that you need the most. Like exercise, when the routine no longer produces pain and there's no longer resistance, it's likely accomplishing little to nothing in the way of development. If you discover a discipline comes as a great challenge, that does not mean, oh, well, I must not be a community sort of person. It means that you need more community until it no longer comes as such a challenge. Like all training, start small and work your way up 
and work your way in. And finally, last, training wisely means understanding the need for repetition. There is no formation without repetition. And often certain disciplines may seem as though they produce no immediate palpable change or discernible lasting effect, but over time, they have a cumulative sort of payoff, and it often happens gradually. They change you, but it takes a while, and you don't realize till much later. Um, Rocky Balboa feels as though chasing a chicken around in his backyard is a ridiculous sort of way to train, and ultimately he realizes he was learning how to move around Apollo Creed. Because I'm going to keep referencing Rocky until somebody goes, yes, that's, I understand now because he used that movie analogy. Um, you may feel as though you're just reading your Bible every morning. Uh, big deal, you know. But you're actually on your way to becoming a master apprentice of Jesus. This is one step in that process. And there is no quick fix. You know, there's no instant gratification. I understand that we want the results faster, but discipleship and the disciplines are a long, slow journey, and that's okay. Chesterton puts it this way. Because children have a bounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. To end, I just want to say uh, this again, something I've said often throughout the series. Experiencing the life of Jesus requires adopting the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want that, I believe that the spiritual disciplines, the practices of Jesus, are the way forward. Practicing the way of Jesus is the way forward. Because we admire disciplined people, you know, whether it's the Olympic athlete or the scholar or the recovering addict. Why is it that we admire them so deeply? I think because discipline is an affront to the status quo. Discipline is out of the ordinary and therefore strange and admirable. But what if we were to approach our discipleship to Jesus as an Olympic athlete, as a scholar? What if we approached our discipleship to Jesus as like an Olympic swimmer does their own craft? Paul writes that I do not run without a clear goal ahead of me. Eugene Peterson translates that exact same line, no sloppy living for me. And I, you know, I thought about that, I read that this week, and I, I looked around at myself first and foremost, and, and then this, this city, this world, and I see an abundance of sloppy living. Everyone aiming at nothing and hitting it every time. But I dream about a church and a life for myself, for my family, marked by humility and honesty with our stories and our own slow-going transformation out in the open where we might fall down and help one another back up as we learn what it means to follow Jesus together. So with that in mind, would you guys pray with me?